this morning. We are excited about being here. We're excited about getting in God's Word. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Father, we are grateful for this day. We are grateful for this message that we are able to look at, discuss, talk about. And as I prepared, God, you really impacted me. You've taught me some things here. And I just pray, God, as I open your word today, that these people here will have hearts that are soft, and they will soak up your word, and that not only will they hear your word, but that it will transform their lives, Lord. And I just thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ, and our salvation, and the security of our salvation, and not by our efforts. But by your mercy and your grace, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross in place of us. And so, God, we are grateful for that. And we thank you for this day. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you continue blessing this church with growth and with salvations and with godly unity that we might make an impact in our community in Judea, and throughout all of the world. And we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who are visiting this morning, we want to welcome you. Last week, for those that were here and those who weren't, just to recap, we looked at catastrophe. We see in catastrophe of the flood, we saw God's invitation to Noah to enter the ark. And we saw God's instructions as to what Noah was to bring in and how he was to get things into this big gigantic boat. And then we saw his intentions, God's purpose for this great flood that he had brought. And his purpose was to completely to remove humanity except for Noah and his family, which in all was eight people. This week, we're going to go and continue right on through our seven seas in history. And so this morning, we're going to look at confusion. We began with creation, we went into corruption, and then we saw the catastrophe, and now we are in confusion. And in the future, we'll look at the Christ, the cross, the consummation. And so this morning, I want us to see that this flood that had taken place as it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, as Noah remained in the ark for 371 days, the ark floated, and he stayed there until God spoke to him. And a little side note, Noah did things in God's timing, if you remember. He was directed to do something And he remained until God had spoken and gave him further directions. And I just wonder how many times in our lives God asks us to do something. And we start out strong. And we do well for a while. But soon we fall away and don't remain and do things differently than what the the Lord has instructed us to do. And I know that I'm guilty of that in my life. But here, Noah remained in this boat. But that's another whole sermon in itself. And so we'll see God and how He spoke to Noah. And God is saying, now it's time to get out of this boat and take all of the animals out, you and your wife and your son and your son's wives. Go out! More instructions that He receives and He obeys. But listen close to what He says. Next, because I think to understand this whole Tower of Babel thing that we're fixing to look at, we must see this key phrase that is nothing new. Genesis eight seventeen reads this, Bring out with you every living thing of flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. This is after the flood, it's rained, he's 
about to get off the ark and God tells him what he is to do. Be fruitful and multiply. And just remember that for a moment as we look back to the beginning. And so God instructs Noah to listen. He gave him a promise in chapter 9 verse 21. Or verse 8, chapter 21, he says, Never again will I curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil. And I will all, uh, never again destroy every living thing as I have done. God gave these men and women a promise. And then preceding that, we see right off the bat in chapter 9, God blessed Noah and his family. And He said to them in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. What I'm doing is I'm going from where we ended, fast forwarding through to chapter 11. And what I want you to understand and see is that throughout this text, he begins to tell these people, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This was their very purpose. And here again we see the desire for God's people to be fruitful and multiply. And God continues to bless Noah. And we see our first opportunity to meet, eat, eat meat. And every moving thing that is alive, He says, shall be food for us. He says, I give to you the food as I give you the plants, the green plants. But when the Lord gave us the animals for food, He gave us instructions of how we were to eat that. He says next, He gives us a consequence of shedding blood. He wants us to fill the earth right away. And so he says, Thou shalt not murder. He values life. He wants no one to take a life because it's created in the image of God. And God values lives. And listen, He wants us to fill the earth. Right away in verse 7, what do we see again for the third time in 13 verses? Genesis 9-7, he says, As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Listen, I think this is a key part of understanding what God from the beginning of time was trying to accomplish. His purpose of filling the earth. And so we as his people need to continue to fill His earth. Not with just people, but godly people. Godly children who will raise up and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why I get excited when I see kids reading Scripture. When I see kids leading this church in worship. It's exciting. Because somebody has followed the command of God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And right here in our community, we're seeing kids step up to the plate as they're following in the footsteps of their godly parents. It was from the very beginning that he said this. Let us rewind to Genesis 1.28. If you remember, said God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and every living thing that moves. And from the very beginning, God's plan was to fill this earth. And now, the reality after the flood, it was time to start over again. Because God had wiped out every human being except those of eight and the living creatures that were on that boat. And so He started out again with Sham and Ham and Jephthah. And so in chapter 10, we see the generations of Noah. These generations, we see Jephthah, the Noah's youngest son, as he descent and his descendants in chapter 10, verse 2 to 5, were largely responsible for founding much of uh, Eastern Europe. And Ham in chapter 10, verses 6 to 19, we see that he was responsible for settling places like Africa and the Middle East. Sudan and Egypt and Libya and Yemen and Lebanon. And then finally in Shem, Noah's firstborn. Chapter 10, verses 21 to 31, grew into the dominant nations of the Middle East. Listen, I want you to understand that God's plan is unfolding before our very eyes. 
And there's a reason that we see chapter 10 in the place that it's at in the Scriptures before verse chapter 11. Because they want us to understand that God's purpose and plans for people to spread throughout the world was taking place. And so in chapter 10, people spread all over the world as they knew their world. The big question is, did the people after the flood obey God and follow His instructions of being fruitful and multiplying? It's a quick glimpse, chapter 10, of what's to take place. What happened after chapter 11? And so the question is, yes, they were scattered, but did they obey the commands of God? And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at and see this morning if these men of this time which you think they would be godly after God spared their people from the flood, and out of eight people you would think that they would live godly lives and follow after Him and His directions. And so if you will, let us look at our text this morning. It's Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words, and it came about as they journeyed east. They found a plain in the land of Sinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And used the bricks for stones, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. And they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there. Confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped building the city. And therefore it's named Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Chapter 11, 1-9 what we just read in full is just another time to see and understand what God spoke of in Genesis 8.21. In Genesis 8.21 He says, The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. From the very beginning, it's been that way. Man's intent is evil. Roman Paul says in Romans 9.3 that there is none righteous, no, not one. Listen, we see a consistency all the way from the beginning of creation to the first fall. Man's evil intent to fall away from God. And so we're simply continuing this theme of sinful man. Man's full of wickedness, in need of punishment. And really we are sinful and that's continued all the way up until our day to day. Well, there's a lot of good in the world, we're still sinful people. If you bear with me this morning, I'm getting somewhere. I know I'm giving you a lot of Scripture, but there's a lot of content between the, the confusion aspect of it and the catastrophe aspect of it. But you would think these folks would get it right. They were spared from the flood. But it's obvious as we read the Scripture, it's not that way. They didn't get it. Well, I want to first break these nine verses down in two sections that will help us understand these nine verses. Verses 1 to 4, we see the people in their actions. In the second part of this, verse 5 to 9, we see God and His response to these people's actions. And so I came up with three points that I think will help us understand and maneuver through these nine verses. Number one, we see man's desire for rebellion. We see man's desire for reputation. And then we see God's restraint against man 
and then God's reversal against man. We see the first half is man, the second half is God's action towards man. That brings us to our first point. We see man's desire for rebellion. Genesis 1, Genesis 11, 1-2. Now the whole earth had one language, and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Sinar and settled there. We see during this time there was a common language that was used throughout the world that day. The text tells us that these people moved eastward. And you may find it interesting as I did, as I studied the text, that when places in Scripture speak of moving eastward, it was a metaphor for a metaphorical sphere, so to speak, of moving outside of the will of God. And so we see these, if you remember, in chapter 13, Lot, as he chooses the valley of Jordan. What does he do? He moves eastward. In Genesis 29.1, we see the deceitful Jacob as he flees his homeland to live among the people from where? Of the east. In Genesis 4.16, we see Cain leaving the Lord and heading to settle in the land of Nod, which is where? East of Eden. It's a metaphorical direction of leaving the will of God. And there seems to be a great deal of that eastward movement throughout the text. Moving out of the will of God. And these people journeyed east and found a place in Sinar. And the key here is that they settled there. Do you think it was God's intention for these people to settle in this one place? I mean, as we just captured from chapter 7 all the way to chapter 11, all of the places that said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Do we think that these people should have settled here? Of course not. They were not to settle. God had given them clear instructions to fill the earth. Not to settle. But in their minds they had made up. This is where they were going to stay. But they had failed to listen to the commands of God as He commanded them to populate the earth abundantly. These people were nice and comfortable right where they were at. Why do we need to go anywhere else? We're good. This place is pleasing. But that's not what God wanted them to do. So I ask us this morning, how about us as individuals? As part of this fellowship, as a church? Are we comfortable right where we're at? Are we comfortable with seeing the same people every Sunday morning? Are we comfortable with seeing all these open seats right before our very eyes? Listen. These people had failed to follow the instructions that God had given them. And we ourselves need to make sure that we're not settling down. We're to go tell others about the great and wonderful news of Jesus Christ. And if we simply settle in and arrive at where we're at, we'll be doing the same thing these people were doing. We're doing a lot of wonderful things in this church. But we're missing the mark in a lot of things as well. And I hope as we begin to grow as believers and Christians that we all begin to see a vision for how we can improve as a church. There's always room for improvement. They were a people that spoke the same words and understood each other, and they had arrived in the place where they didn't need to move anywhere else. They were simply content. You ask, how do I know that they settled? How do I know that they were content? Well, let us look at verse 3. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks, and bake them thoroughly, and use them as bricks instead of stones and tar for mortar. These people were about to build for themselves a city. And I would say that they were settled in comfortable. People, don't, people had done what seemed convenient instead of what was commanded. 
We are not above the same sin of these people of the Tower of Babel. Jesus tells us to go into the world, preach the gospel. And I want to see us keep moving in that direction more and more and more until Christ returns. My personal desire is to settle down. Stuart would like to buy some land, build a house, have myself horses and dogs and other things. But my home is not here. My home is not in South Carolina. My home is with Christ. And one day, when they put me in that ground and they close the casket on my head, I will have arrived. I think today in our society we're way too comfortable. We're snuggled right in our homes. We have everything we want. But it's not our home. Listen, the parsonage that you provide for our family is a wonderful place. The home I lived in before I moved here was a wonderful place. My land and my trailer that I owned was a wonderful place. The reality is, I don't know what it feels like to feel like I'm at home. And I think each one of us should have that same feeling within us. To not feel like we're at home. Because if we feel like we're at home and we settle down and we begin to build things up for ourselves, we forget our intent. And that is to follow where God leads us and directs us. And how can we do that if we've built for ourselves a city? This is not our home. My purpose in this life is to bring glory and honor to God. And that's your purpose. There's nothing wrong with nice things. What is the intent? Is your intent to be secure and to have a nice place that you go home, that you feel comfortable that this is yours? We can fool ourselves into believing that, but the reality is, is a fire could sweep through this town and burn every home, and your home would no longer be your home. Everything we have and own is acceptable to loss. Our home is with Christ. And our purpose is to glorify and bring Him honor and glory and praise. And we do that by being able to do as He commands us to do. And here these people were commanded to do something. And they wanted to settle down. It's hard. I really want a home that I can call home. I really want a place that I feel comfortable that I can come to for the rest of my life. But I'm not at peace about it. I feel convicted when I, when I think about buying land, I get convicted. Who am I? Why am I trying to build for myself a home on this earth? This is in our place of settlement. God wants us to spread Christians all over the world. And I don't know about you, but for me, I pray that one day... My kids will continue in following God's calling in their lives. And they won't follow the world's call to settle down. No, son. Get out there in the byways, in the wildernesses, and in the jungles of South America and wherever else and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a sad part of life. Many kids are raised up as unbelievers and then one day they find Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ finds them. They become believers. They have families and they're limited on what they can do. But boy, we can raise our children to follow the commands of God, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Get out of this place and go find some people you can tell about Jesus. Yeah, you think I'll miss my kids? I know I will. We see people, kids leaving their family all the time and it hurts. But I can't think of any better reason to hurt than to think of my kid going across that ocean to share the gospel with a lost people. 
that never heard the gospel, never had read a Bible, don't even have a Bible in their language. These people were rebelling against God. And it was their desire to settle. They didn't want to be scattered. Let us make for ourselves a name or we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. They wanted to remain in their comfortable zone because they could talk to one another. They understood each other's language. Are you comfortable with the person you're sitting beside today? Listen, I don't know everybody in this congregation, but I know there's people that are usually here that are not here this morning, and it should make us uncomfortable to look beside us and see them not here. And it's our responsibility to go out, cry out to them, come, join us, so we can serve God together. And we can proclaim the gospel in this community as we serve in this community and work in people's homes and help the widows and help the orphans. A blessing that is. We see man's desire for rebellion. We also see man's desire for reputation. Listen, the reason behind Noah's family and their desire to rebel against God is because they deemed themselves wiser than God. And they found for themselves to be more important than the Lord. Verses 4 and 5 reads, Then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the whole face of the earth. The Lord came down to see this city and the tower that these men were building. These men wanted to build a city. They wanted a tower that would reach to heaven. They wanted the biggest, largest place so they could make for themselves a name. It reminds me of these cities who spend all this money on these gigantic buildings. They want to make a name for themselves. And here, that's what they were doing. This tower was, a, so to speak, of a stairway to heaven. A people of rebellion that was trying to reach God in a way in which He didn't intend for them to reach. A way that was by their own efforts. Little did they know that the only way that we can reach God is which, the way God gives us to reach out to Him. You can't reach out to God unless you reach out through the Son of Jesus Christ. We as a people desire to be noticed. And these people were a people desired to be noticed. The epitome of America is to make for yourselves a name. We want to be known. Nobody wants to go to the grave and not be known. That would be fearful. Welcome to the Western world. The world of making a name of our, for ourselves. And we as individuals, we need to check ourselves. We need to look at our own lives and see where we are at spiritually, physically, emotionally. And ask ourselves a few questions. We need to ask ourselves... Why am I buying this product? Why am I seeking this promotion? Why am I doing this service? Why am I wearing these clothes? Is it to live more comfortably? To bring satisfaction to myself? Or am I doing it for the glory of God? Listen, I'm guilty of, as anyone else sitting in here. I buy things because Stuart wants them. And as I read this passage of Scripture, I saw this teaching. And I examined my life. You know, the reality is, is I want nice things. But God is teaching me a lesson. 
I'm not to settle, but I'm to be ready to follow the commands of God at any time. And I'm not to buy things for my own good purpose. But is my doing it to bring glory to God? We're learning in our home's Bible study that man's primary purpose, what that is, is to bring glory to God and enjoy Him forever. And what we're seeing here in chapter 11 is a failure of doing that. Their goal had shifted from glorifying God and enjoying Him forever to promoting their own reputation. And we better check ourselves because we are guilty and we can fall into this trap any time of the week. Are we doing the things that we're doing for ourselves to satisfy man or to satisfy God? And only you as an individual can answer that. And not everybody struggles with this problem. People can go out and buy nice things and they do it for a good reason and a good purpose. But some people fall into the idea that they're going to buy something that's going to give them enjoyment and happiness. And they do it for self-gratification. And it may be happy for a while, but eventually the grass dies and it turns brown just like the rest of the grass. And you have to seek for something else. What is their purpose? To make for themselves a name. Are you making for yourself a name today? The gold has shifted. We see man's desire for rebellion and we see his desire for reputation. Well, what we see next is God's restraint against man. God responded to these men trying to build this city, trying to build for themselves a reputation of having big and nice things as their form of security. If we build for ourselves a name, we won't be scattered. That was God's plan. And so He responds. Genesis 11.6 The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they began to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. As I read this text, I asked myself the question, is God saying that they could actually build a building that would reach up to the kingdom of heaven? I don't think that's what He's saying. God is fixing to jump into the mix of things. The will of God will not be tested. Well, it could be tested, but it will always prevail because God is sovereign. And there's a balance of man's free will and the sovereignty of God, I understand that. But when God commands us to do something, and it's His purpose, His purpose will unfold. He will use us or He will use somebody else. Or He will alter the situation. They will not go throughout this city making for themselves a name. But God is about to put them in the line. He's about to check them. And it says, nothing they plan to do will be impossible. I don't think he's saying here that they can reach heaven. I like one commentator's response. He says the phrase, nothing will be impossible for them, likely refers not to the heights of accomplishments that mankind might achieve, but to the depth of sin in which mankind is capable of doing. Listen, God understands our hearts. He understands that we're wicked and that we're evil and that really we seek no righteousness. And the restraint of God helps us and prevents us from being what we could be. If I let their sin go unchecked, there is no telling how much worse it will get, you could say. No rebellion will be too great for them. Well, you know what? If God doesn't restrain us, there's no telling how big our rebellion will get. And so this restraint is not a curse, it's a blessing from God. And we need to try to understand that. God's grace has given us rules and laws and standards to help prevent us from becoming what we could become. That's why we have a government, a 
police. Could you imagine if we didn't have police? Well, there's not many police in this community. But in other communities, could you imagine living in New York City without the police? Get out of control. The government didn't have standards, we'd be, in, we'd be in trouble as well. God sometimes steps in and uses His mercy of restraint. Now believe that God does the same in our lives today as He did then. He restrains us from the natural desire to have what we want, to build for ourselves a name. And boy, nothing is too impossible for me. And I praise God for the restraint that He may put in my life that I can't see physically. You may not think about it. But why are things not working the way you want them to work out? Are you struggling with some things this morning? I don't know about you, but as I live my life, and as I try to do things my way and the things that I want, sometimes I just struggle and I keep pushing and pushing and pushing and try to get them done, but nothing that seem to do works out. Maybe it's God's restraint for your betterment, for my betterment. He knows best. So leave it up to Him for the rest. We see God's restraint against man. And we may see it in our lives. But here we also see God's reversal against man. How did the Lord restrain these people? Well, let's read and find out. He says in verses 7 to 9, Come, let us go down, confuse their language, so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from over all of the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel. Because the Lord confused their language the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them with the face the whole earth. I find it very interesting the main thing these people are trying to do was make a name for themselves. But God says, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. This name in which way they were trying to obtain, they now can't even understand one another's language. He really frustrated the, the plans of these people. But he doesn't stop here. He continues on till he accomplishes his plan and his purpose. And so the Lord scattered them all over the earth. And they stopped building the city. He reverses everything they were doing. And you know it may be the same reason your plans are in shambles. God is, a, is opposed to the proud. And sometimes our punishment for that pride is the very reversal of our prideful intentions. Listen, this lesson might not be for everybody. This lesson may simply be for me. But God has taught me something here. About my intentions and everything I do, think and say. Everywhere I spend a dollar. What are my intentions? It should affect our lives. God has a special way of showing us that we've left Him out of the equation. But if, even in the midst of what's going on in our lives, we can trust that this is for the good of our lives. God restrains us from doing things. Many times have you said, well, I tried to do this and it, it just wouldn't work out. I mean, listen, when we were back home, we tried and we tried and we tried to build a house. And everything we did seemed to take us back to point A. And we couldn't get it done. But praise God for the restraint that He put on that. And then He reversed it. He moved us to Montana. My prideful intent was to have a big, nice house and a big piece of property. There's nothing wrong with that. Please understand I'm saying that. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with you having a nice house. But if we're buying houses like for the intent of my purpose was to have this big, gigantic house that I could say, hey, y'all come over and see my nice house on my nice piece of property with my nice paved driveway and five acres of irrigated sod. Come on, see what I got. And I'm going to use it to bring glory to God because we're going to have cookouts and we're going to eat steaks. But God restrained it and He reversed it. We can trust that His restraint is for the good of us. And sometimes He withholds from us His blessings. And the reality is, some people in here just don't have a care. It wouldn't make any difference if I preached on any topic, they wouldn't listen. But let me tell you, one day you will stand before God, and you will have to deal with these very issues in your life. Young people up to old people, you will have opportunities where you will try and strive to do things and to live your lives how you want to live them and God will restrain you and you will have nothing to look back to but this message on the Babel. And remember that God restrained for His goodness. If you don't get anything out of this message, get that. That God is not opposed to you, but He's working for you. Let us not become a confused people as a church, as a people, as a fellowship. Let us remember this event of Babel. God didn't leave us with a confused plan. That is why we see in chapter 11, one of the sons of Noah, Shem, through this line becomes the Jewish race. And we see God's plan as He brings it together. As He chose His people. A people in which God showed mercy and gave salvation to His people. And we too have been given mercy through the redemption of Jesus Christ. God's plan is not to confuse us. God was planning throughout all of these events of rebellion from day one to bring about a Savior, Christ. And I want to ask you this morning, have you believed in Christ? Have you trusted in Him for your salvation? I want you to leave here today thinking, am I, am I living a life in rebellion against God? Am I living a life in rebellion against God? And am I trying to build myself a reputation? Listen, we send our kids to school say, hey, Kids, go get a reputation. Make a name for yourselves. Be successful. Listen, I grew up in sports and I saw parents put their lives into sports because they wanted their kids to be known for reputation. so that they could become professionals and go and provide for mommy and daddy. If we just invested that much more time into godly things that we do worldly things, we'd make a name for ourselves. Listen, I want to be known for Stuart Guthrie, one that was willing to become like a servant and humble himself like Christ did. I may not have the nicest things, but God has blessed us. And you may not know me as a professional athlete. You may not know me as this professional TV star. But when I die, I want you to remember me for a man that was willing to serve God, to give up everything for the sake of Christ. And I pray as I continue to grow in my relationship with God that He begins to make me the man that He needs me to be. I'm far from it. And my struggles are severely difficult. 
But I want each one of us to struggle with it. Don't get comfortable. Don't settle in. God doesn't want us to remain. But He wants us to follow His direction to where He guides us so that we can be a part of His ultimate plan to bring glory and honor to Him. This morning, if you haven't trusted in Christ, I don't see how you can be a part of that plan. And some of you who claim to trust in Christ, you're not even part of the plan. You claim to walk the walk. And you claim to talk the talk. But like I said last week, action speaks so loudly no one can hear your voice. How about your kids? Listen, you have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in your school. You have to be the example as young adults. I can't reach those kids. I don't know those kids. I don't sit in the classroom with those kids. But you do. Guess what? That's where God has placed you. And you have a mission field. And there's no one too young that could stand up for the sake of Christ. Everybody can take part in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't get comfortable. Don't stand for comfort. Get uncomfortable. And don't be afraid to offend people. Please. Our culture is so afraid to offend people, it's sickening. Teach the truth. And it's offensive. That's why they hung them on a cross. You're not going to send them to hell. Tell them the truth. You're giving them an opportunity to hear the gospel. We need to do it in our schools, in our workplace, and throughout this community, wherever we're at. And God will begin to bless that. And if you aren't on task, if you aren't on this team, then I pray this morning that you would understand your separation from God and your need for a Savior. Listen, you can't work your way to heaven. You can't build a tower high enough. You can't make for your name a big enough name that will get you into heaven. Because I can tell you this, if you stand before God and, you, and God says, well, I should let you into heaven. And, the, and you say, well, my name is Stuart Guthrie. And you know what? I had everything in this life. I had the nicest house. I had the, the biggest cars. I gave the most money to everybody. I supported orphans. I supported... I did this. I did that. I made for myself a name. You know what he's going to say? Pal, listen. Jesus is the way. There's only one name under heaven in which we might be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. Unless you're bearing that mark... You can have the biggest and best name in the world who will get you absolutely nowhere. And so this morning I beg and I plead with you to cry out to Jesus. Because He gives hope. He gives restoration for a hurting people. He teaches us His ways. And He gives us the Holy Spirit. In John 14 He says... He will bring all to your remembrance that He said to you. He's our helper. And if you're living outside of the will of God in a, in a broken relationship, you won't survive. You won't make it. You can't. You have nothing to lean on and everything you lean on will fail you. This morning I ask that you would call out to Christ to save you. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful. Father, in the midst of sermons, in the midst of preaching, in the midst of preparation, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to focus on people.
God, I, I know that sometimes the messages aren't exactly what they need to be. But I pray today, God, that the time and the effort that we've put into this sermon this week, Lord, that you will use it to touch the heart of somebody. God, I tell you, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm sorry, but I have this burden of these people who don't pay attention. Only you know who they are and they know who they are. Their desire is not to be in this church, God. Change their heart. They don't care to be here, God. Change their heart. Send them to the mission field so that they can see for themselves, God. True desire for the Word of God. True sacrifice. Help us as America to stop being so lackadaisical to Your Word and to Your truth and help us transform all of us, God, to help us be better believers and followers of Jesus Christ. So that when we do walk out in the world, God, people see a difference. They go, you know what? He's different. Help us, God, to look different. So that people want to join in and be a part of the kingdom and the work of Jesus here on this earth. Help us to not have rebellious hearts. Help us to not desire worldly reputation. Help us to be acceptable to your restraint. And view the reversal as a blessing we are in a right now, today world. Help us to be patient. Help me. And I thank you for this day. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.